Hi there, this is Grant Simpson. Welcome to Yukon Musicians. I sat down with Merv Bales in August 2011 to discuss his life, find out what made him become the musician that we know him as today. It was a very interesting two hours I spent with Merv, and we had lots of laughs and talked about the music business. I had my little Zoom recorder and a page full of notes, and this is probably one of the most rustic podcasts you'll ever hear. But it was sure fun getting to know Merv's story, and I hope you enjoy hearing it as much as I enjoyed making it. Here he is, Merv Bales. I was born in St. Bob's Hospital, east of Winnipeg. I'm a farm boy from east of town. My mother was uh, musical, played all her life. Last gig, 73, passed on at 74. She played the E-flat alto sax and played piano. And her dad, my grandfather, played eight instruments, had 10 kids, and he taught all of them. Played all the horns and everything, but he just he did the fiddle, the fiddle was his home. And he was Manitoba champ for three years in a row. Mother played the piano for him. I was born into it. My mother could teach my dad the chords and he'd never forget them, but it wasn't natural for him. But I inherited some of my mother's good traits, some of my dad's bad ones. (laughs) (laughs) Harold and Louise Bales. My mother was actually a wood, W-O-O-D. Her uh, heritage was from uh, Scotland uh, with the Lord Selkirk settlers back in Manitoba. And my dad was just the opposite, his people came into it, they were, I had to track that, it took me two, two years. Uh, they come from uh, Holland, and they were Quakers and moved into Pennsylvania in 1634. But what the problem there was, to track them, uh, they changed their name, the name was Beals, B-A-L-E-S, and two of my great uncles got hung for, for stealing horses after the, after the <laughs> Civil War, so I was, uh, <laughs> They changed our name. The third brother that lived didn't want to have anything to do with it, so he changed his name, dropped the E. So that's how we lived here, yeah. My grandfather, uh, Bales, he moved into Canada in Manitoba in 1924 for the land grab. Well, they had nothing. They had to make their own food. We had corn eight feet high in our yard, and the sunflowers would just follow the sun around all day long. I was back there three years ago, but Attitude is so different in the Yukon. I can't explain that. I was 13 years old. One day my father's brother-in-law, who had a band, came over. While he was there, I was practicing my guitar. My Uncle Red said to me, can you read music? I said, oh yeah. My uncle and my dad went down to the liquor board in Manitoba and got a special permit and I started playing in a band at 13 years old. You went to the dark side right yeah, away. Yeah, I went to right away. <laughs> I made $2.50 every Friday and Saturday night, playing rhythm, off the sheet music. On a Friday day, I was pretty wealthy. Don't get around much anymore. Uh, Hello Dolly, I remember playing that. A lot of the old jazz numbers. There wasn't. There was horns in the band, and they had their sections, and the rhythm section had theirs. And 
It was a dance band, so I had to know the chords they were playing. I'd take a lot of them home with me. I had a good ear, fortunately, so I could cover it up. And then I was 18 years old, met Lenny Bro. My uncle owned the Erdogan Ballroom, and I had been playing there since I was 13. Now I'm going on about 17, 18 years old, and I'm playing with Len, with uh, Len Cario. And my uncle said, there's a new group started playing in, in my club. And I said, who are they? And Hal Lone Pine or something, but he's got a good guitar player. Ended up to be his son. And Lenny was pulling off this stuff, and I'm saying, I walked up to him and I checked out the back of his amplifier because I didn't believe it could be done. And no no gimmicks, just the way he was. So I found out where he lived and I would go down to his basement and I would say, okay, show me how you did so and so and such a tune. He'd be called it just like that and I would, okay, I got it. And then I would have to go home and practice it. I'd find out when he's, where he's at and I would go back. He would sit for 10 hours a day just mastering the one thing till he got it. When I met him, he was working out uh, Chet Atkins' Country Gentleman. That was the song that he was working on that day. He had the record on. And I said, oh, gee, I don't know if it's done that way. I can hear it another way. And, but he was listening, he would listen to you. And the other thing about him, he was so great. I said, how did you do so-and-so? Well, I'll show you, man. He would show it to you. Great guy, great guy. Somebody that inspires you once in a lifetime. It would be him, having known him. I was working midnights for the railroad and my children were small and I was taking a bus in Winnipeg and I got on the bus and here he is sitting at the back of the bus. Now I'm working midnights, it's about quarter after 11 at night. And I says, how did you do Lenny when you were working in California? He says, oh, he says, I did The Hungry Eye, they did an album. He said, it's not good, it's not bad, but he says, I can do better. I said, where are you going? He says, I lost all track of time. I'm going to go visit my girlfriend. <laughs> it's like 11.30 at night. So he would lose all track of time in yeah. no time. Well, a lot of guys got the natural gift, but it's 80% work. You could be gifted all you want to. If you don't work at it, you're not going to do anything with it. It's not going to happen. Like I said to Lenny would sit there for 10 hours just to learn one fast riff from a, a jazz guitar player when he wasn't even playing jazz. You know, just to learn it. Yeah. He created the seventh string, you know that? Yeah. He created the high A and he used fishing line because he couldn't sell it. But his ideas, like he always played high. He always played high, but he did the bass lines on the bottom two or three strings. He did the bass lines at the same time. His chord progressions were amazing. And that's how he could play what he could hear. Five years of guitar lessons. And I took him with Jack Riddell. And Jack Riddell had a lot of students. And once a year he would have a show. He rented a, like a, a theater. He put on a show and we all take our turns. And there was a guy in there that played really well. And his name was Jimmy Peary. And Jimmy Peary got to move on to Toronto. And Jimmy Peary did uh, 
when he was in his late 30s, he developed a, a jingles uh, for advertising on the radio, and he was really good at it. He, did, he could create just like that, spontaneous. You want something, here's my idea, and he would give it to you. Yeah, Jimmy was good. He played on CBC for about four or five years, and then he, he quit there. He just went into his own business. He did well. He was the only one out of Jack's students, there probably 20 to 30 of us that really did go up and did well. And those are the days of Lenny Bro being honored. And Jimmy Perry was second in line. In, line yeah. in fact, he played with Tommy Hunter. First four or five years of Tommy Hunter was in Toronto. Yeah, he got the call. Yeah, there was three or four of us tried out. And Jimmy was the better one. So Jimmy got the job, which is justifiable. The other thing is he could read quicker than I could. And I mean, at one time I could sight read, now I've always forgotten how to do it. I'm at that point where Judah Ritter studied this machine here. Les Paul to me was a hero. He created his own way of doing things. Yeah. Chet Atkins was a hero. The country, uh, Jerry Reed. See, all these guys could play what they could hear. And I don't think I'll ever accomplish it. I can hear more because I was raised in a jazz family. And then when I went to country, and I just had to change everything around. But when you listen to good country, the steel players are playing the, the chords that they're coming up to the next change. And in four beats, they'll play three chords or four to get into it. But that's not what people want to hear. You got to sell what they want to hear where you're at. And Joe Lucci is good at that. So is Hank Carr. Hank could And Ed Isaac, these guys, they, they, they look around, read a crowd, and they got them. They got them. They, it just takes a long time, and it takes experience, and it also takes a lot of inner talent within yourself to read a crowd real well, you know? You can't have your back to them. you got to face forward. All of uh, Joe Lucci's music and some of Hank's stuff that I play for, it, it's all done by ear. All the Joe's fiddle tunes that I play on a flat top is all done by ear by listening to it. And I try and remember it and then go home and screw it up for the first time and then <laughs> second or third time I usually get it. But they're pretty common. It's not like there's a lot of changes in them. It's just that for a flat top to play along with the fiddle, you gotta be almost note for note in a different octave. That's how that worked. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I'm still here, I'll be 74 here. This month. Still here, didn't expect to be playing over the age of 40. You know, I got lucky, right people, right time, and the right area. You know, I mean, the guys that I play with are not up and coming. They've been there and had it, but they're still surviving quite well. They are. Yeah. None of them sing flat yet. And they haven't given up and they're still learning. We all are. We're all learning. Like I had the internet on this morning watching a couple of guitar players. I go, oh my God, how did they do that? I'm learning off it. Very good talent here in Whitehorse. Yeah, yeah. For the population percentage. And the thing about it, most of them are, I'd say all of them that I know, personally are really humble. They're all striving for get better in most cases, I think. Gene Brown who lives here in Whitehorse. I met him back in 1968 in Great Falls, Montana. He was playing one group and I was playing the other one down the street. When I come up here in 1978, guess who met me at the airport?
Well, this was the Yukon, it was wild, it was free. Word gold and the Klondike made Yukon history. I came up here, I didn't figure it last that long. I come up in uh, August 26, 1978, and uh, figured maybe play for a little while and head out. And the fishing got me, and the people got me, and I just didn't want to leave, so I actually quit playing for a while, and I went to work for the government. I worked in the prison system here for quite a while. I came up to play, Hank Carr went across the street to the Yukon Inn, and he had his own band, and I stayed with the Canucks almost 10 months, and then I decided to get out of it. And I wanted to stay, so I went to work for the government. Thank God I did. The pension's good. When the northern wind is blowing, listen and you hear the echo of the Yukon from the days of yesteryear. There was more people that fought the place. Well, of course, Hank Carr had left, but he was still had his own following across the street. The bar was full every night. We worked five to six nights a week, depending on the year. We were steady. I worked from... Uh, August of 78 till June of 79, and then I went to work for the government, so. What was the dough like playing then? Mm, I would say above average for, 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 for Canada. Like livable. Oh, yeah. yeah. Guys had mortgages and. Oh, yeah. Musicians. Quite well. Yeah. That wasn't happening all over Canada. Not for musicians. Right now I'm in the middle of rehearsing with the Hank Carr and the Canucks for the upcoming show. And it's a lot to remember for an old guy. But the, the guys are great. The talent's there. It's just a matter of doing it now. It's been a fun gig. I've had a lot of, I've met a lot of musicians in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I've had some good ones and some people that thought they were. But that's the way it goes. I've enjoyed it all. And you're always learning. Somebody that's 16, I'm learning off them because I, I hear something that I should have known and I see how it's done and now I know how it's done. So I learn and I still learn. No end to it is there. It's enjoyable though. It's like a hell of a pastime making a few bucks to get by. Ended up marrying my childhood sweetheart. I'm happier than hell. Can't ask for anything better. I'm totally contented.